Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and you are listening to the Backtracker History Show podcast. Crafted by me, a self-confessed history geek who enjoys those stories from the past that might have been forgotten. The Backtracker History Show is first aired on Bradley Stoke FM in Bristol, England, before being plonked onto the podcast stage for all to enjoy. Now, if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to share or leave feedback. It all helps. Keep in touch via either Twitter or Facebook by using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK. A contralto is a type of classical female singing voice whose vocal range is the lowest female type voice. I'm highlighting the contralto singing voice because the person I want to talk about today is not very well remembered but she had a huge influence on music and she was brilliant during the World War I but led a rather tragic lifestyle and she started her career in Bristol. She bought a little fish, she put it in a crystal bowl upon a golden dish. All day she sat in wonderment and watched its silver gleam. And then she gently took it up and slipped it in a stream. A fairy went to market. That, my friends, was the English contralto whose concert hall appearances, early recordings, and broadcasting career made her one of the first entertainment superstars beloved throughout the world. Clara Butt, Queen of Song. Clara Ellen Butt was born in Southwark near Brighton on the 1st of February 1872, the daughter of Henry, who was a captain in a mercantile marine, and Clara, whose maiden name was Hook. The young Clara was the second child in a very close-knit family of seven children, but grew up as the eldest as her brother Bertie died. In Victorian era, families would enjoy musical evenings together at home, and Clara's was no exception. Clara began piano lessons at the age of eight, and after the family moved to Bristol in 1880, she joined the family in singing at various churches and homes. It was a Miss Cook, the headmistress at South Bristol High School, who first recognised the quality of the girl's voice. At her suggestion, 12-year-old Clara sang before Dan Rutham, the leading voice teacher in the West of England, who told her, you have gold in your throat, my child. Clara's repertory was soon expanded to include Brahms' German Requiem and Handel's Messiah. Singing with the Bristol Festival Choir, she continued her church appearances and accepted a growing number of requests to perform. At the age of 16, Clara was on 
the way to a full height of six foot two, a tall girl in any era, with a beautiful and imposing figure. It was at this point that Rutham had her tryout for the Open Scholarship to the Royal College of Music in London in January 1890. He knew that Clara's family could never afford to pay for Clara's fees as well as support her during her training. The preliminary audition was in Bristol as hundreds would apply to the college each year so local heats were held across the country to weed out the inadequate. Rutham and Clara were not hopeful as one of the examiners in Bristol was his music rival, George Risley, and during the audition, Risley appeared indifferent to Clara's singing voice, even asking her what she called it. But she managed to pass that hurdle, and the following year went to London for the main examination. Her mother was very concerned that Clara would be ruined by the wickedness of the big city, and whether singing was a suitable career for a young lady. This attitude made for a rather strained Christmas that year. Her father, on the other hand, was full of confidence, though. The audition was set for 10am, so they spent the previous night at Henry's sister's house in Lewisham. At the audition, which was held at the Alba Hall, the contestants were heard in alphabetical order, so Clara didn't have to wait long. The first song she sang was The Enchantress, delivering it in a booming contralto that had acquired a power and beauty. The judges were unprepared for the first dramatic octave leap that burst upon them without warning. At first they just stared, then jumped to their feet, talking between themselves, furious at their rudeness and believing they were poking fun, but sang even louder. When a judge asked that she sing something softer, the girl chose Woe Unto Them, a lovely aria, and was mystified by a tear she saw roll down a judge's cheek. As she sat in the corridor waiting for the results, she overheard someone say that one of the scholarships had gone to a great tall girl, a singer. Only then did she realise the impact of her performance. Clara passed the audition with flying colours, but couldn't start until she was 17, so she spent the time singing around Bristol, trying to earn the money for college. Clara gave a farewell concert at the Tyndale Lecture Hall. Her Bristolian fans were so keen for her to succeed in London that they held a whip round and presented her with some poetry books and a cheque for £60, which was a huge amount in those days. This act of kindness was never forgotten and Clara would always respond to charity calls from Bristol. Clara was offered the part in an opera, Orpheus, which highlighted her voice well. The reviews were amazing. Miss Clara Butt succeeded in riveting the attention from the beginning, and her fine voice was used to the greatest advantage. To say that she is by far the best singer that has ever come from the Royal College of Music is beyond dispute. In March 1883, the Prince of Wales, later to become Edward VII, patron of the Royal College of Music, asked if a repeat performance of Orpheus could be staged for him, as he had missed the original held several years before. 
This performance went ahead and eventually led to Clara coming under the patronage of Queen Victoria herself, to whom she would perform many concerts and was also invited to many parties held by the royal family. It was at this point that Clara got a little bit overconfident and, boosted by the successful concerts around England and still studying though, Clara agreed to go on tour of America. This was to prove to be a huge mistake, as the strain of such an ambitious endeavour on one so inexperienced and young led to her being rushed to hospital. Clara had always been frail since a childhood case of diphtheria left her with a weak heart. She came home and rested in Hastings and then London. On May the 26th, 1897, after spending some time living in Europe and touring, Clara returned to Bristol for a sold-out concert at the Colston Hall, topping the bill. Clara wore several pieces of jewellery given to her by Queen Victoria. She was always supportive of her family and when her sisters said they wanted to follow in her footsteps, Clara paid for all their fees. The sisters, Pauline, Ethel and Hazel, performed under their mother's maiden name of Hook. None of them wanted to trade on their sister's great fame. One story about Clara's early days is about an invitation to a charity bazaar in Paris from one of Clara's sponsors the Duchess de Lengthen, sister of the Empress of Austria. At this grand opening, there would be nearly 2,000 guests gathered at a wooden and tarred edifice. These were the high and mighty, famous and impressive of Paris. The edifice was built specially for the occasion. One of the main attractions was a huge gas-filled balloon moored to the building and the latest invention, cinema. The cinema was due to hold a show at 4pm, but Clara and her friend decided that they would give the bazaar a miss that day and go the next day instead. Whilst taking a carriage ride through the Parisian streets, though, they were stopped by the police. The roads were blocked due to a raging fire. It was the bazaar. Apparently, the cinema projectionist couldn't see what he was doing, so he struck a match, igniting the gas balloon. It took only 10 minutes for the whole bazaar to be destroyed. The heat was so intense that jewels melted into bodies and the Duchess was only identified by her teeth. And now, I think it's about time we had our word of the week. Now this week, seeing as we're in the Victorian era for our main story, I've decided to find something from that particular era. So, the word of the week, or three in this case, is bow wow mutton. This is a naval term referring to meat so bad it might be dog flesh.
So now, let us continue our story of Bristol's very own contralto, Clara Budd. In 1897, Clara met and began to perform with the great baritone Robert Bertie Kennelly Rumford. They embarked on a brief but highly successful tour of the American continent together in 1899. Clara was overjoyed when the handsome Bertie asked her to marry him. The ceremony took place at Bristol Cathedral at 1.30pm on the 26th of June 1900. Clara was offered St Paul's Cathedral for the ceremony but turned it down preferring to be wed in a city that always believed in her and she called home. On her wedding day, all the shops and factories closed and thousands of people thronged to College Green to see the wedding. People had been queuing up since 7am to get a good view. Special trains from London had been organised as well as extra police to control the good-natured crowd. A description in the newspaper says... The bride wore ivory meteor crepe de chêne dress with a deep fringe at the bottom of the skirt, frilling over accordion frill of the same material. The bodice was artistically draped from a transparent yoke of real Brussels point. Though rich, the costume which admirably suited the bride's figure, a soft tulle veil falling in undulating folds and held in place by a spray of orange blossom, completed this most becoming look. She carried a bouquet of white orchids and wore a brooch of golden swallows with beads of diamonds. The bridesmaids wore the bridegroom's presents that they were given before the ceremony of gold brooches in the shape of hearts with lover's knots and the centre the treble clef with the notes B and C. One of the two page boys was none other than a seven-year-old Ivor Novello. The reception was given at the Royal Hotel by Mr and Mrs Butt for nearly 400 guests, after which the happy couple left for their honeymoon in Norway. Bristolians had brought Clara a special wedding present, which was presented to her at her parents' house in Clifton during a small gathering before the wedding ceremony. The gift was a brooch with the letters CB, the initials of Miss Butt and the City of Bristol in diamonds, with an arrow passing through the second letter in rubies. The work of making this wonderful brooch was entrusted to the Bristol Goldsmiths Alliance in College Green. If you wanted to have a look at this brooch, it's at the Bristol Museum. During that small ceremony, Sir Robert Sims spoke of how proud Bristolians felt that she had spent her early life and received her first training in Bristol. Even though Clara was loved the world over, and very, very famous. She didn't have a penny in her bank account as she, when she got married. She wanted to pay off her father's debts before the wedding. His overdraft alone was more than £600, which today would be around 50000 and he also owed several other creditors several hundred pounds. Clara was good friends with Elgar, and as they were sitting together listening to a performance of Pomp and Circumstance, In the November of 1901, Clara turned round and whispered to him that he should write something like that for her. He'd always wanted to write something for her to perform and had been asking her for years. So he replied, You shall have that one, my dear.
working together, they came up with Land of Hope and Glory, a song that I'm guessing you know. This song was dedicated to the coronation of King Edward VII, and Clara performed it for the first time in public on the 24th of June 1902 in the Albert Hall. It would become not only Clara's signature and most popular performance. Clara and Bertie were on holiday in Scotland when World War I broke out. They cut short their break and gave fundraising concerts in Scotland and other cities on their way back south, ending in a benefit concert for the Red Cross at the Royal Albert Hall. It was at this concert that Bertie announced that he would be leaving for the front, to which he received some of the greatest applause of his career. Throughout World War I, Clara continued to work tirelessly to raise money for the charity. She had a gift for organisation and became the head of many war committees. She organised and starred in concert parties all over the country for nothing, but any supporting acts were always paid a wage as well as expenses. One of these tours raised a whopping £14,000, which was used to create the Clara Butt Committee to distribute funds. This committee was eventually disbanded as it had too many people at the top who liked the sound of their own voices. Clara then set up a more streamlined Clara Butt Rumford Fund. The new fund would share out money to hospitals, workhouses, asylums and homes for incurables. In May 1916, Clara organised a huge Albert Hall Red Cross concert. Amongst the guests were the King, Queen and Princess Mary. The King requested the National Anthem, and the Queen asked for Abide With Me. Each member of the audience was given a flag to wave during the King's entrance to Royal Britannia. The atmosphere was electric. And if that wasn't enough, Bertie made an unannounced appearance. The War Office had given him special dispensation. He wore his army uniform and sang to huge applause. The 1st of July 1916 was the first day of the Battle of the Somme. There were over 57,000 British casualties, a third of which were fatal. It was said that if you were an officer on the front line, your life expectancy was just six weeks. And with that many deaths, the bodies couldn't be removed quick enough. So the remaining soldiers would often have to continue the war, surrounded by the bodies colleagues and friends. For the wounded servicemen that did manage to get back home from these horrific conditions, Clara put on two more concerts where they were admitted for free. Clara would eventually raise a total sum in excess of £100,000, which was huge in those days. 
It was largely in recognition of this rule work that King George V appointed her a Dame of the British Empire in 1920. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I did a show about Eddie Cochran, and since then I've had a message. It's from Norman, who says, I went with two friends to Eddie Cochran's last show. I could not get seats together, but as a box was not sold, the box office let us have that for the same price as a night to remember. I was music mad in those days. Norman, that sounds like it was an amazing night. And now I think it's about time for some back-in-the-day facts. On the 2nd of May, 1497, Italian-born English navigator and explorer John Cabot left Bristol in search of a route to Asia. He sighted land on the 24th of June, probably Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia, and claimed North America for England. Also on the 2nd of May, the world's first jet airliner, the de Havilland Comet 1, set off on its maiden flight from London to Johannesburg in South Africa in 1952. On the 4th of May, 1896, the Daily Mail newspaper was launched in the UK. On the 5th of May, 1930, English aviator Amy Johnson began her historic 19-day solo flight to Australia in her Gypsy Moth aircraft called Jason. On the 6th of May 1937, an explosion and fire on the Hindenburg airship killed 36 people. And in 1994, on the 6th of May, the Channel Tunnel between UK and France was officially opened. And now we come to the final part of our story about Clara Butt. Clara toured the far-flung corners of the British Empire where her patriotic renditions of Land of Hope Glory and Royal Britannia were as eagerly received as when she performed them on Empire Day rallies in Hyde Park. Do you remember the Union Jack dress worn by singer Jerry Halliwell of the Spice Girls at the 1997 Brit Awards? Well, she wasn't the first. Clara did it 70 years before on Empire Day whilst leading the community to sing Land of Hope and Glory as well as Rune Britannia, accompanied by His Majesty's Grenadier Guards and 10,000 members of the Daily Express Community Choir. Even though their professional life was filled with glamour and success, their personal life wasn't so much. Their first son, Roy, died after an operation for meningitis-related damage, aged only 19, on the 23rd of August, 1923, with his parents at his bedside. Although it was a devastating blow for the family, they still went on tour of America and Canada, with Clara crying whenever she was alone. On the 27th of June, 1925, 
whilst returning to her country home after celebrating her silver wedding anniversary in Bristol. The car in which the couple were driving was involved in a fatal traffic accident with a motorcyclist, Francis Willis, a 20-year-old man from Swindon. He died at the scene in Clara's arm while she was trying to stem the flow of blood. The Rumford family suffered another tragedy when her second son, Victor, took his own life with a firearm in Rhodesia at the age of just 21. He had set up a life there as a farmer. This leaves Joy, Clara and Bertie's only surviving child. She was married to Major Claude Cross, a retired member of the Indian Medical Service, in Bristol in 1928. They went on to have a son of their own, Oliver. Clara adored her only grandchild. Unfortunately, Joy's life would also be marred with tragedy, just like her mother's, when her husband, Claude, died during World War II in 1944. Joy then moved in with her father in Cambly, Surrey, and three years later, on 17th of July, 1947, Oliver died of pulmonary tuberculosis at the age of only 18. Luckily, Clara never had to witness this, as she developed cancer of the spine, which combined her to a wheelchair. She found the strength and courage to continue working, even at the point of making her later recordings from her wheelchair. She was on a tour of Australia, but had to be sent home because of her weakness. Dame Clara Butt died on the 23rd of January, 1936, aged 62, surrounded by the family she loved, three days after King George V. I hope you enjoyed that story of Clara Butt. It's amazing to think that someone so famous during her lifetime has become so forgotten. I know that I mentioned earlier that you can find her brooch in the Bristol Museum, but there's also a portrait of her. If you go to the M-Shed on the second floor in the gallery marked People and Places, right at the back in the right-hand corner, you'll find it. Our book of the week ties in quite nicely with our story of the week. It's called Hope and Glory, A Life of Dame Clara Butt by Maurice Leonard. It was published in 2012 by Victorian Secrets. Now, I read this book whilst I was doing the research for this story and I have to admit it was really good. She does come off as a bit of a diva in it, but... At the end of the day, her heart was in the right place and she knew her strengths and her weaknesses and she used the gift of her voice to help raise money for those that were affected by World War I. The nice thing about this book is that it gives a very, very vivid picture of what life was like at the time during the wars and during all that went on in the Victorian and Edwardian period. This is Alice on the Backtracker History Show, and as always, I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook at Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK. Alternatively, you can email me on info at backtracker.co.uk. Thanks to all you guys who've got in touch. 
I've had some brilliant ideas from future shows and I love having your input. It just makes it worthwhile. Now, if you like the background music playing now, it's by a West Country band called The Model Folk. Now, you can find out more information about them at themodelfolk.com. This particular tune is called Finer Ties. Remember, most of these shows first go out on Bradley Stoke Radio, but that doesn't mean that podcasts don't get their own exclusive from time to time. So it's always worth checking back and finding out if there's anything new. Maybe subscribe. And remember, if you enjoy the show, why don't you rate it? And maybe leave a little review. But if you didn't enjoy it, we'll just leave it at this, party waves and all that. But until next time, take care guys. And look after each other. <laughs>